This week on the podcast, nonprofit news feed, news from the nonprofit sector for the week of May 3rd. Here today from the Whole Whale team is Carisha Martinez and Nick Azalay. Hey, thanks for joining us. I did put it on your calendar. Thanks for having us. All right, uh, Carisha, can you uh, walk us through? Um, actually, no, Nick, you're going to walk us through the overall summaries, the highlighted uh, articles here. Yeah, I can take our at-a-glance featured stories. This first one is about a Democratic nonprofit <laughs> suing ahead of potential redistricting <laughs> fights. So in the world of politics, the big news over the past week is the release of the 2020 census data and so begins the fight over redistricting. So off the heels of a contentious census, um, the next political fight will be over the maps of our congressional districts, uh, districting. And acknowledging these tense political battles yet to come, um, a lawsuit filed by the Progressive National Redistricting Action Fund, which is associated um, with the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, is filing lawsuits in an attempt to make the results of any political impasses fair. The kind of the nut and bolts of this case are uh, pretty complicated and not entirely relevant, but the big takeaway for nonprofits here is that the census leads to redistricting, and redistricting can shape politics for a decade. Um, How those districts are apportioned can impact greatly you know, um, what party controls the house, what legislation makes it through. And at the end of the day, what communities are franchised or disenfranchised more than ever districting and the political lines drawn by most states in America, by those house legislatures can define, um, what district people live in and by extension, whether they feel represented by their representative. Um, So this is something I think that's really important for nonprofits to pay attention to because, of course, coming off of the 2020 election, um, you know, this social political motivation of people is at a really high level right now. And, you know, capitalizing and understanding the trajectory of the political landscape will be really important. And this is something to keep a really close eye on, especially as these fights continue over the next year or so. Yeah. And this is under the heading of gerrymandering. And this is going to be the the season of Jerry and his mandering. And in addition to that, you saw that, um, you know, some seats were taken away, one from New York, one from California, and that's going to play in as well. I think if you're, like you said, in the local politic game, if you were in the sort of local, also um, in the field, distributing resources to certain areas and those areas get redrawn. You're like, wait a minute, (laughs) we've been serving that community for over a decade. And you're like, well, now if you want funding from the city that covers the such and such county area, that could be changed. Nick, you had a funny story of how when you were in college, (laughs) you got, you got, I've never heard this extreme, but like maybe you could share real quickly how, how silly gerrymandering can get. Sure. When I was in college, my university was in one of the number one rated gerrymandered uh, districts in the country, PA7. And 
we were in like I think like three congressional districts, but that didn't matter. We were in I think five separate voting precincts, and the whole point was to uh, make it as confusing as possible for college kids to vote <laughs> in elections. And my God, it did. Like, on, depending on which building you were in, you said it broke down. Which building and which floor? You're like, oh, no, you're an even number floor. It was it was crazy. Um, but there was actually a lawsuit. Um, 2017, 2016, and the PA Supreme Court found it unconstitutional and said, try again, <laughs> make it better. So it's a little bit more straightforward now, but man, it's still such a problem. All right. What else do we have? Sure. So our next story comes out of Atlanta, and it looks like the Atlanta Girl Scouts, unfortunately, were left with $3 million in unsold cookies. Um this kind of tragic uh, unfurling of events um, has something of a takeaway for nonprofits in that these in-person kind of commercial fundraisers, um, Girl Scouts have done a great job pivoting, but even so can still be really challenging coming off the heels of a pandemic. You know, lots of in-person fundraisers of all types, sales, galas, events um, have course had to change drastically and it seems that not even the delicious cookies are immune from a change in the fundraising uh environment we're in so just something to keep an eye on that um you know sometimes fundraising has to pivot and we may not be at that that pre-pandemic level just yet yeah there was a lot of actually this wasn't just atlanta we just happened to pick up on atlanta because it was one of the larger ones but girl scout sales in general being down and i think a large driver here is the fact that, you know, we are working from home. The old, hey, we're in the office and someone walks around with that sheet and be like, it's that time of year. Where are my Thin Mints? Um, and people signing up for, for these boxes were part of this delivery mechanism. And I have to hand it to the Girl Scouts who have over uh, this past year and past years moved to things like uh, ordering through apps and helping uh, the young uh, the young women involved in the programs learn how to do digital marketing and sell a little bit more over, uh, over the online mechanisms. But still, it doesn't change the fact that if you are relying on that workplace strategy for, hey, can we sell a table to our next gala to your office and like get people involved? Or can we do like that kind of thing? If we're talking about a work from home or partial work from home future may have to still adapt and not just be like, oh, once we all get vaccines, we're all headed back to normal. Not necessarily. So I'd say pay really close attention to those large corporate sponsors that are you know, bankrolling some of the fundraising efforts that you have and think about how you are pivoting toward where their workplace is going, not where it used to be, because I don't think normal's coming back for a lot of folks. All right. Should we jump into our summaries? Carisha, walk us through. Yeah, I can walk us through our, our headlines. Our first one reads the independent independent sector statement on the American Families Plan um, and the 28% deduction cap. This is really just a statement um, from the independent sector talking about the American Families Plan, which would make a number of investments in education, childcare, paid leave, nutrition, and more. Um, all things that we really need, um, especially in our kind of mid-COVID 
restricted post-COVID society, but they're also highlighting this 28% cap on itemized deductions. Um, and what we're really highlighting is how this 28% cap could affect the way that we see fundraising, um, especially as kind of that tax deduction um, might be a bigger selling point for larger gifted donations. Yeah, the 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 details are in the devils, as they say, with regard to like, oh, the family's plan, this makes so much sense. But small nuances like that, I think it's awesome that groups like the independent sector, if you haven't heard of them, independentsector.org, they focus on tri-sector solutions, looking at the, frankly, downstream implications of things that sound like good ideas, like a cap on itemized deductions actually can have downward pressure on giving though that does assume that people are donating with a primary reason of getting a deduction, which has been proven not necessarily to be true, but small changes can have big ripples, can hurt the sector. So I applaud the independent sector for looking out for something so nuanced and pointed in like hundreds of pages. Uh, Hats off. Go check them out. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO, content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, We really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. Yeah, really interesting stuff. Our next headline reads, CHIRP, or C-H-E-R-P, builds the first nonprofit solar panel factory. Um, This article from the Claremont Courier. CHIRP, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be called CHIRP, but I kind of like the way CHIRP CHIRP. sounds. (laughs) Yeah, right? CHIRP, or the Community Home Energy Retrofit Project, is creating their own nonprofit solar panel factory, um, which is an offshoot of their more larger nonprofit. Um, And I think this is really interesting. You hear about solar panels a lot, kind of who can have them, who cannot, based on like the the trajectory of your house roof or whatever. Um, But it's exciting to see kind of like a nonprofit approach to more sustainable energy. Yeah, to all of you southern or southeast facing roof trajectories without overhangs of trees, obviously you're ready in line. I like seeing nonprofits get into manufacturing. I think there are upsides to and tax advantages in that. And and frankly, yeah, like are you going to compete with a solar city? No, but you could, like you mentioned, Carisha, serve an underserved population, create jobs, and um, diversify manufacturing. Um, this is really cool. Yeah, I agree. Hopefully we'll we'll see more sustainable solutions. I'm a proud solar owner energy. myself. The the words you hear right, right now are brought to you by solar energy. The panels are working right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you left out with your roof. It always confuses me like whose roof is like eligible <laughs> for solar panels. There's a you can use Google Maps. They'll actually like give you a, a spot if you just like drop a pin, you're like, what can I do here? Pretty cool. Huh. I have to check it out. If you're looking to get solar panels, George is here to help you out. Yeah, it's a service we offer. We don't offer that service. <laughs> Our next headline reads, Oregon Donation Nonprofit Mid-America Transplant Plans 10.5 Million Development in Dogtown. Um, 
what Mid-America Transplant is doing is creating apartments and houses for people who are going to receive an organ transplant. Um, these apartments will feature one, two, three bedroom apartments where entire families can go in support of their loved ones who is receiving an organ. Um, so it's all really exciting stuff. It's part of their family house uh, program, again, where they can have that familial support as they kind of go through this surgery. Yeah, and disclosure, Mid-America Transplant is a client of Whole Whales. But also consider how they're using this investment. It's looking at the entire life cycle of what it means when somebody is in the, um, the organ transplant system, right? And thinking about the families and then thinking about where they stay. Like that is so wide and beautiful a view of an entire ecosystem, what's going on, not just sort of like, all right, can we like get them to the hospital and like, where are the family staying? And, um, you know, there's other organizations out there, you know, historically like Ronald McDonald House, which served for a lot of family support for um, kids and their families going through cancer. And I, I like that view. And especially if you have the dollars to put to work. Um, yeah, they have a lot of amazing programs like the Family House. They also do uh, like those who are organ, do organ donors, family support initiatives for those who have lost a loved one. Um, so yeah, all really great programs that like you said, George, look at the holistic uh, kind of experience of receiving or being an organ donor or transplant. More headlines. Our next headline reads, New York Life launches a $1 billion impact investment initiative. I love seeing the billion instead of the million. It's always like next level excitement for me. But New York Life has announced the launch of a $1 billion impact investment initiative aimed at closing the racial wealth gap. Um, they are partnering with uh, other kind of venture capital firms over the next three years to serve and invest in underserved and undercapitalized communities uh, with a focus on small businesses, affordable housing, and community development. Um, and they'll partner with people within these communities um, to kind of parse out this money. Um, but it's really exciting to see such a large investment um, in small businesses, and even more exciting to see affordable housing and community development and infrastructure too. Like you said, it's exciting when you see the B. There's so many of these like $10 million, go to this, and like $5 million, go to this. But like, frankly, if you're in New York life insurance, if you're one of the big players there in the investment field, like, I'm sorry, announcing like $100 million, like that's a PR stunt. A billion is something that actually begins to say, no, 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 we're paying attention to this and we're making an investment. I know the, the, it's hard to say, right? Because we just got off of talking about $10 million in uh, the world of Mid-America Transplant, but this is talking about a financial institution that's one of the biggest in the world making a billion dollar commitment. And that's not just a PR statement, that's like work. Um, so it's great to see that. Yeah, real true dollars <laughs> being invested. <laughs> Um, our next and last headline reads, 145 House members call for $360 million in nonprofit security grant funding. Um, and this article comes from JewishInsider.com, where there is a large bipartisan contingent of House members who are calling to double the funding for the nonprofit security grant program for a second year to $360 million for the 2022 fiscal year. Um, really, this is taking a look at maybe something that we looked at previously where we're finding that there are less donations going to faith-based communities um, and trying to create a safety net for those nonprofits and faith-based organizations. Um, so interesting, I think it was around 90 million in 2020, moved up to 180 million in 2021, um, and they're going to keep climbing until they can really create a really great security net. 
for those organizations. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's under the umbrella of the response to rise in domestic extremism um, and threatening many communities, uh, many communities and, and growing, unfortunately. And so uh, protecting the the types of institutions in our country that are that are under attack by um, these like homegrown terrorists, unfortunately, is something that is bipartisan and also means nonprofit support, which is great. Yeah, definitely. Um, that concludes our summary, but we do want to call out uh, our friends at N10 who are launching their 2021 Digital Inclusion Fellowship. They have a bunch of positions opened in various cities, including Atlanta, Austin, Cleveland, Huntsville, Alabama, Kansas City, Nashville, Provo, Utah, Salt Lake City, and San Antonio, Texas. Um, and what this is, is they're partnering with Google Fiber, which they've been doing since it launched in 2015, to build capacity and leadership in nonprofits to address digital inequities in their community. Um, so it's a year-long project-based professional development cohort, um, and they'll be creating ambitious projects to increase opportunities for adults in their communities. Love it. N10, n10.org, go join if you haven't heard of them before. They just wrapped up their uh, their first digital conference and really looking forward to when that's back in person, but they make a, just a, such a strong commitment to, um, you know, DEI initiatives and put it out there. Um, great to see. Nick, feel good news. What do we have? All right. I got some feel good news and I think this is a relevant one. This is a somewhat local news, but a resettlement organization in Winchester, Virginia, is hoping to open an office that could eventually bring up to 100 international refugees annually into the city. And I think it's still in the planning phase, but this is really exciting. And I think coincides with the news that the Biden administration has just upped the cap for the number of refugees that will be allowed to enter into the United States annually. Um, with the previous administration, that cap was around 15,000. Now it's going up to um, in the 60,000 uh, number, which is great to see. And um, this local organization, which at the end of the day is often um, on the front lines of refugee resettlement. It's it's local organizations, often faith-based, um, that are really helping these people uh, find their footing in the United States. And in this particular program, um, the report says that refugees had primarily come from Iraq and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And, you know, couple this with census data that shows that the U.S. population grew at the, the slowest rate in quite a while. Um, Refugees are the future, and this is really exciting. Um, so just wanted to give a shout out to uh, a small uh, kind of resettlement project, but has is part of a larger narrative about um, helping folks from around the world fleeing conflict and persecution, finding their footing in the United States, and contributing in meaningful ways. Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot more of this. It's been sadly depressed over the last four years. And with this 4X, and frankly, Biden promised double the 60, upwards north of, of 100,000. And hopefully the pressure comes there to give homes to folks that are in, in these situations across the country it means an opportunity for nonprofits to welcome them to, to say, hey, let's open our door to the, the folks we can in our backyard. And, and, and bring them into our communities uh, because that's ultimately where the work is done. It's easy for folks in Congress or at the exec level to sign it on a piece of paper, but the community work is where 
All roads lead to nonprofits. All roads always lead to nonprofits when you're talking with us. All right. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Carisha. This has been your nonprofitnewsfeed.com summary. Uh, check it out. Get the weekly updates. All those links available if you go check us out online, nonprofitnewsfeed.com. Thanks. Have a good one. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you.